Welcome to the Karis Christian Center podcast. Today we're talking about Jesus works miracles in John chapter 2. How many of you are glad that Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever? And that he's still in the miracle business. Hallelujah. Jesus is still in the miracle business. And in John chapter 2 verse 11, it says this, This beginning of miracles did Jesus in Cana of Galilee and manifested forth his glory and his disciples believed on him. What is a miracle? The definition of the working of miracles is when God works through a person or an instrument to perform a supernatural act in an instant. In this case, Jesus turned the water into wine. This was his first miracle. It showed his blessing on marriage. How many of you know that God is the one who instituted marriage? Marriage is not man's idea. Marriage is God's idea. And a biblical marriage is to be between one man and one woman and God. Amen? It's not our idea. It's his idea. God is the one who came up with it. Marriage means to give yourself to the other. So in a true marriage, right, the husband gives himself for the wife, like Christ gave himself for the church, and the wife gives herself to the husband. And I like to say when the giving stops, the marriage stops. So you know what? We need to keep the marriage going. If you want a good marriage, keep giving. You seek to outgive each other, and that will work for you to have a good marriage. People tend to be selfish, right? Like Samson, he said, get her for me, for she pleases me well. The challenge there is me. <laughs> Hallelujah. He's just thinking about himself. you got to think about more than yourself. There's a lot more, especially when it comes to marriage. You want to be connected with the right person. Praise God. But this beginning of miracles, this was the first miracle, and manifested forth his glory. Miracles are a manifestation of the glory and the power of God, the power and the presence of God. When you talk about the glory, you're talking about the purpose, presence, and power of God. And so miracles are a manifestation of the power, a manifestation of the presence, a manifestation of the presence of God. And when the glory of God is manifest, there will be miracles. Some places have no miracles because they're not operating in the glory. But when you operate in the glory, you're going to have some miracles. They're, they're going to come along with it. Amen? And it says that not only did that happen, but notice it says his disciples believed on him. All through the book of John, when you see Jesus work miracles, when you see Jesus heal the sick, when you see Jesus set the captives free, you see people coming to Jesus, people believing on Jesus. This is the purpose for miracles. This is the purpose. Now, let's go back and read the first 11 verses and talk about this first miracle of Jesus. And the third day, there was a marriage in Cana of Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. And both Jesus was called and his disciples to the marriage. And when they wanted wine, the mother of Jesus said to him, they have no wine. Jesus said unto her, woman, what do I have to do with you? My hour is not come. It's not my time yet. <clears throat> do you know what? If you're going to operate in miracles, you're also going to have to operate in faith. Many times faith is connected with miracles. For instance, in John chapter 9, there was a man who was born blind. 
right? And when Jesus met him, Jesus spit and made clay of the spit and put it on his eyes and told him to go wash in the pool of Siloam. And when he went and washed, he came again. See, it was an act of faith for him to go and wash in the pool of Siloam. In Mark chapter Three, there was a man who had a withered hand. He was in the congregation on the Sabbath day. And Jesus said, stretch forth your hand. And when he stretched it forth, he acted in faith. It was made whole as the other. Right? So many times, if you're going to see a miracle, there's also faith required. In fact, I've studied all of the healing miracles of Jesus in the Gospels. And in at least 98% of them, I can see at least in 98% of them, their personal faith was required. So God doesn't, it's not automatic. It just doesn't over, you have to have personal faith in his grace to enter in to, to what he wants to do for you. Amen? So it takes faith along with the power of God. So, so Jesus said, woman, my hour is not come, but faith is forward thinking. His mother wasn't thinking about yesterday. She wasn't thinking about the past. She wasn't thinking about the last 30 years other than maybe his birth because she knew that was a miracle. Jesus said, my time hasn't come. And she just looked at the servants and said, whatever he says, do it. Hallelujah. Faith is forward thinking. You can't get where you want to go looking at the past. You've got to look forward where God, faith is the substance of things we hope for. Do you have hope in the word of God? Do you have hope in the promise of God? Faith brings substance to things we hope for and it's evidence of things that we do not see. Our faith is evidence of a God that we don't see, but it also brings evidence to things that we do not see. And so it's forward thinking. So his mother said to the servants, her response to him, when Jesus said, my hour has not come, is whatever he says, do you do it? See, faith is connected with action. Right? Faith without corresponding action, faith without works is dead being alone. James says that in chapter 2, verse 17, verse 20, and verse 26. In fact, in verse 26, he said, faith without works is just like a body without the spirit. It's just the corpse. You may tell me you have faith, but you know what? Faith, unless you put corresponding action with it, is really not faith at all. It's just a corpse, just like if you see the old westerns, right? A guy's wanted, and they go after him. They come back. He's hanging over the horse, tied on there. He's dead. He's just a corpse. Faith without works is dead, being alone. It's just a corpse. It's going nowhere and accomplishing nothing. So, so when Jesus says, my hour is not coming, she just looks at the servant and says, whatever he says, do it. And there were set six water pots of stone after the manner of the purifying of the Jews containing 20 or 30 gallons apiece. So six big wash, you know, like bathtubs almost. 20 or 30 gallons, so pretty good tub, right? And, and, and Jesus tells them, he, he says, fill the water pots with water and they filled them up to the brim. Now, this wasn't an easy task in my thinking. You know, they, they, they didn't have a hydrant that they could just turn on. They didn't have a hose. They probably had a well. They had to throw a bucket down in there and pull it out, right? And then they had to put it in buckets and carry it to the water pots. Right? Can, can you, have any of you ever carried a five-gallon bucket of water? We're talking about a 150-gallon of water. This, I mean, that's out 20 or 30-gallon a piece. There's six of them, 150 gallons. That's a lot of water. 
I mean, and, and you know what? Did you ever try to hold one, carry it? I've carried lots of five-gallon buckets of water. Right? It's lots of work. They're heavy. Right? And, and, and then generally when I carry them, I, I can't get five. I, put, I, I like to carry two because it's easier because they're so heavy to balance yourself. Right? And I put about four gallon a piece in them. But it's a lot of work. So they fill these water pots up to the brim. Faith is manifested in action. If you really believe something, it takes corresponding action. If you really believe that God wants to heal you, get out of bed. You know, Lester Summerall said people die in bed. So if you want to be healed, get out of bed. Don't stay laying in that bed. If you believe that God wants to prosper, you go to work. Do something. Don't just sit around and say, oh, God, would you please do something? Right? Go put a job application in. Well, it's not my field of expertise. I don't care. Start doing something. Go volunteer. Start doing something. God will open a door. But you've got to step. You've got to move forth. Faith is manifest in action. You know what? God called us to... Colorado Springs to start a church. We started in 2001. We had almost no people and no money. We had Mike and Mary Peterson. They're sitting in the back row right there. And we had Greg Trout. And Greg got married and Barbara said the church doubled. And Greg was here in the first service. So praise God they've stayed with us 21 years. But I, what I did, I had almost no money. No people and no money starting a church. So I printed off these flyers. They cost me three and a half cents to print off over at Office Depot, and I got, I got a little tan paper, and I printed on there, said what we're about, what the church is about, and I went to 10,000 homes. I went to 100 homes a day for 100 days before this, we started the church, and we had a Bible study since February, and we ended up at the end of six months of Bible studies with about 50, 10 people. Our family of five, Mike and Mary Peterson and Greg and Kim Trapp, after six months of work. I thought, man, this is a lot of work. And so I handed out 10,000 flyers, and we ended up with 20 people on the first day. My family of five, Mike and Mary Peterson, Greg and Kim Trapp, and 11 other visitors that showed up after I handed out 10,000 flyers. That was our giant start to Karis Christian Center 21 years ago. I remember one day I, was, I would get up in the morning, I'd pray, I'd read my Bible, I'd go hand out flyers, go to the Bible school, but I did something. I was handing out flyers in my neighborhood, and this guy pulled up in a truck. He said, what are you doing? He said, do you want to go to work for me? And I said, well, that depends. He said, on what? I said, on whether I make it or not. And so uh, he said, what are you doing? I said, I'm starting a church. He said, you're going to make it, and drove off. <laughs> Hallelujah. Now, the, 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 I had talked to the pastor of the largest church in this town before I started. He said, listen, 90% of church plants in Colorado Springs fail. He told us a lot of things. But you know what? When, when he got done telling us all these things, some of them encouraging, most of them discouraging, Barbara said, I know we're going to make it because I know. He just defined who you were. And he just said it. So, praise God. But God called us here. I wouldn't want to be in Colorado Springs pastoring a church if God didn't call me to Colorado Springs pastoring a church. In fact, I wouldn't want to be anywhere pastoring a church if God didn't call me to pastor a church. I want to do exactly what God called me to do. Praise God. But God has been with us and God has blessed us and God has helped us. Today, the facility that you sit in. Praise God, it's tax valuations, $22 million. It's completely paid for, and we have $6 million or above in investments. Praise God, look, getting ready for the next great opportunity that God gives Karis Christian Center. And this will not be the last building, you know. I thought about it, you know, Ashley Territus is getting ready. Last Sunday, he came to church. He had no money in his offering accounts. Faith without works is dead. He wrote a check for $2,500. 
God spoke to someone to give him $2,500 into their ministry. So that someone gave him $2,500, and he took the $2,500 check and put it in the offering. Then during service, he found out about a property. You know, he, he got a text during service, and they said, can you meet us after service? He, he said, yes, I could come meet you I got, after I get out of church. So he went to meet him, and they said, listen, we would like to sell you a property. And they offered him a property that's now going to be his ministry headquarters. Hallelujah. He called me on Tuesday. He said, we've been offered this property, right? It's about 26 and a half acres. It's got about a 4,000 square foot home that they're going to use for their ministry offices. It has a shop that they're going to turn into, you know, their TV studio. I believe they could build a steel building on the property and house even more employees if they need to. But you know what? He, he said, Pastor, what about this? And I said, you know what you need to do. But God had put in my heart for several months that if Ashley and Carly got a property to, to do a gift match of $100,000, which I don't have yet, but I will have. So, so I told, you know, I said I got $6 million investments. It means it's all, it's invested. It's tied up. It's not free. It's not liquid right now. But, but, I, but, but I'll have the 100000 Amen. So I said, I want to do a $100,000 gift match. So they were having their conference. I said, I'd like to take up the offering. So we took up the offering. We had another person give $100,000. We had another person give $50,000. The general congregation gave $38,000. So it, he, last Sunday, he had no money, but he sowed a seed. And he's got $288,000 towards his building already. And he got a great deal on the property. He got a $900,000 property for $635,000. And God just blessed him with equity. See, he's, he's been sowing. He's been acting in faith. He's been working. And now God is blessing him. Praise God. So faith, you, you've got to see beyond where you're at. Faith is forward thinking. And faith is manifested in action. Sometimes it's an action of sowing a seed. Sometimes it's an action of getting out of bed. Sometimes it's an action of going to work. So but you don't just sit there and just, oh, Jesus help me, Jesus help me, oh Jesus, I need some help. You start moving towards your destiny. You start moving where God wants you to go, right? You start, you start acting by faith and then you receive, there's grace for you to receive. Now, now when, when they filled them up, Jesus then said to them in verse 7, fill the water pots with water and they filled them up to the brim. And he said to them, draw out now and bear to the governor of the feast. And when they bear, I believe when they pulled it out, praise God, the water was turned wine. And the ruler of the feast had tasted the water that was made wine and knew not where it was. The servants which drew the water knew the governor called the bridegroom and said, every man at the beginning does set forth the good wine. And when men have well drunk, then that which is worse. But you kept the good wine till now, till the end. See, faith is forward thinking. Why did Jesus make 150 gallon of wine? I mean, that, <laughs> the town wasn't that big, guys. The wedding wasn't that big. They didn't need 150 gallon of wine. But notice this bridegroom 
This is actually speaking. Jesus' first miracle speaks of another marriage. It's the marriage supper of the Lamb in Revelation chapter 19. When we're going to sit down with Jesus when Christ comes for his church. And we're going to sit down and enjoy his presence in eternity. And Jesus was forward thinking about another party. There's a party. Are you going to the party? I'm going to the party. My name is on the list. My name is written in the Lamb's book of life. And I'm looking forward to that great wedding day when Jesus Christ splits the eastern skies, when the dead in Christ rise first, when all those who are alive and remain are caught up together with them, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. I'm looking for Jesus coming. I'm not looking for a hole in the ground. I'm looking for a hole in the sky. We have hope in Jesus. And so this very first miracle is talking about, is also looking forward, not only doing something right here and blessing marriage, but it's also looking forward to the marriage supper of the Lamb. Yes, Lord. This beginning of miracles did Jesus in Cana of Galilee and manifested his glory and his disciples believed on him. Notice with miracles, there's a manifestation of the glory of God. It's kind of like in John chapter 11 when Jesus was called to go to Lazarus, his good friend, and heal Lazarus. By the time he got there, Lazarus had been dead for four days. Jesus goes up, right? He's getting ready. He says, take away the stone. Martha says, oh, Lord, by this time he's stinking. His body's already rotten. And Jesus says, didn't I say if you will believe, you will see the glory of God. And they took forth a stone. And then Jesus prayed a very short prayer. You know, Jesus prayed very short prayers in public, very long prayers in in private. And, And he said, Lazarus, come forth. And Lazarus came forth, hand and foot bound in grave clothes. If you've been over to Israel, it's like the Spirit of God picked him up and blew him out of that tomb. And here's Lazarus. He's bound, hand and foot. Jesus said, loose him and let him go. It was a manifestation of the presence and the power of God. It was a manifestation of the glory of God. I thank God that the glory of God is going to be manifest in the last days. God said in the last days he'd pour out of his spirit on all flesh. He said sons and daughters would prophesy. Old men would dream dreams. Young men would see visions on his servants, on his handmaidens. That You know, he would pour out of his spirit. He said there's going to be signs in heaven above and wonders in the earth beneath. And whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. There's going to be a great manifestation of the glory of God in these last days. And we're entering into it. Hallelujah. Isn't that marvelous? Yes, it is. Hallelujah. Now, how does great faith come? Mark chapter 4, verse 28. This is a little extra. In Mark 4, verse 28, the scripture says, the the seed, talking about the seed, it comes forth first the blade, then the ear, then the full corn in the ear. Now, Smith Wigglesworth years ago preached Right, Smith saw numbers of people healed, mighty miracles, numbers of people raised from the dead. But Smith said, this is how great faith comes. It comes first the blade, then the ear, and then the full corn in the ear. But yesterday we were in a service and Andrew Womack was teaching, and he was sharing about this in Mark chapter 4. And in verse 28, Andrew shared this. It was very powerful. He says, the earth. Now, when you study the parable of the sower, the earth is your heart, right? The seed is the word. The earth, your heart, brings forth fruit of herself. 
The earth, now, when you study this, brings forth fruit of herself in the Greek. The, the earth is like a womb, right? Your spirit is like a womb. Your heart is like a womb. And whatever seed is sowed in the earth will come forth. If you sow tumbleweeds in the earth, the earth will bring forth tumbleweeds. Right? If you sow cucumbers in the earth, the earth will bring forth cucumbers. If you sow apple trees, it brings forth apple trees. Corn, it brings forth corn, watermelon. Whatever you sow in the, the earth will bring forth fruit of herself. Your heart is bringing forth the harvest. And whatever you seed you allow to remain in your heart, you, you have harvest. You all have harvest. If you don't like the harvest that you have, you can change it by how you, by what you allow to remain in your heart. In fact, this word brings forth of her fruit of herself. In the Greek, it's autonomous. In other words, it's like automatic. Amen. It's, it's like whatever you sow, you shall reap. If you sow to the spirit, you'll reap life. If you sow to the flesh, you'll reap corruption. Right, so be not weary in well-doing for whatever you are sowing and have been sowing, you are reaping. So if you don't like the harvest that you're having, change the seed that you've been sowing and you'll get new harvest. <laughs> Praise the Lord. So keep sowing good seeds, amen? So, what it, so faith, faith is working for you and your heart is bringing forth a harvest. If you don't like it, you can change it by what you allow to remain in your heart. Amen? So this was Jesus' first miracle. It speaks of another greater thing. It speaks that Jesus is coming for his church. But it also talks about faith. Faith is forward thinking. It's manifested in action. And it also obeys God. Whatever you say, do whatever he says, do it. So they, did, they didn't gripe. They didn't complain. They didn't whine. They just went and did it. Hebrews 11 verse 8 says, By faith Noah obeyed God and built an ark to the saving of his house. By faith, he obeyed God. Faith obeys God. Faith is manifested in obedience. Now, in Noah's case, God spoke to Noah when he's 500 years old. It had never rained on the earth as far as we understand. Right? Until the flood of Noah, the, the dew came up. Most Bible scholars, most people believe the dew came up and watered the earth. But then God spoke to Noah when he's 500 years old and said, I want you to build an ark. He told him exactly the dimensions, told him what to make it of, how to do it. It's something like 450 feet long, 75 feet wide, three stories high. And Noah, for 500 years, or not 500 years, it was 500 years, for 100 years. He was 500 years old when God spoke to him. He was 600 years old when he entered in the ark. For 100 years, Noah and his wife and his three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth, and their wives and their children were working, were building this ark. Can you imagine building this ark? Can you imagine putting, then they got all the animals. Can you imagine getting all the food for the animals? Can you imagine cleaning up after all the animals? See, I had a guy tell me years ago, I can't be happy unless I'm in the ministry. I said, listen, I was happy when I was raking horse stalls. Yes, right. Amen. And, and if I couldn't be happy raking horse stalls, I sure wouldn't be happy in the ministry. Amen. <laughs> Hallelujah. Amen. So Jesus can't make you happy. Nobody can make you happy. And being in the ministry sure ain't going to make you happy. Amen. Praise God. In fact, we'll see an example from Jesus' life where Jesus was in the ministry and he wasn't too happy. That's the next point. 
Praise God, it's the cleansing of the temple. Okay, so let's move from miracles into the cleansing of the temple in verse 12. He went down to Capernaum. He and his mother and brethren and his disciples, they stayed there a few days. And the Jews' Passover, this was the beginning of Passover, was at hand. And Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now, what's the thing about Passover? Passover was a feast where they celebrated, right, the exodus. And just before they exited Egypt, they killed the Passover lamb. And God said in Exodus 12, verse 13, when I see the blood, I will pass over you. And what that means, it means death has passed and life has come. Judgment has passed and forgiveness has come. Sin has passed and righteousness has come. Anxiety has passed and peace has come. Poverty has passed and provision has come. Sickness has passed and healing has come. It's the Passover. When I see the blood, I will pass over you. So it's the beginning of the Passover feast and he went to the temple and he found in those temple those who who sold oxen and sheep and doves and changers of money they were sitting and when he made a whip of small cords he drove them out of the temple and the sheep and the oxen and he he took their money can you see that jesus is gold and silver and coppers running everywhere brass <laughs> jesus throwing their money throwing their tables over took a whip driving them out of there He's just entered the ministry. He's 30s. Maybe he was kind of like Pastor Lawson. <laughs> you know, I got a good friend. He's been in the ministry over 50 years. He says he's never been mad. Man, I hardly get through a week. <laughs> What's wrong with me, Jesus? Well, Jesus got mad. Religion made him mad. And what made him mad is they were focused on the cost rather than their cure. They were focused right on, on not, not on what those sacrifices were really for. Those sacrifices were forgiveness. Those sacrifices were for freedom. Those sacrifices weren't about making money. Yes. It's like if you and all you came to church and thought about was the offering. I, I don't think about the cost. I think about what it's going to bring. It's a seed. That's why I don't want anybody in Karis Christian Center giving as a debt that they owe. I want you to give as seed that you owe. Because if you give as seed that you sow, that means it ha your, your giving has a future attached to it. It doesn't end here. Yes. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. All right, I'll stop right there. So... When he, made, he drove him out and he said, take these things from here and make not my father's house a house of merchandise. I don't believe it was wrong for them to have sacrifices readily available for the people. That, that, I don't believe that was wrong. But what was wrong was their focus became on making money rather than getting people set free. Their focus became that rather than what that was accomplishing. Come on. See, because what's this, what's this supposed to be about? It's supposed to be about worship. It's supposed to be about prayer. It's supposed to be about relationship. This is an aspect of our relationship with God. That's what the sacrifices were about. It was about relationship. It wasn't supposed to be about all those things. Then he said to those that, he, he said, take these, get them out of here. And his disciples remembered it was written, the zeal of thine house has eaten me up. Now this is one of two times that Jesus cleansed the temple. Here in John, it's, it's the first of his ministry. He just opened his ministry. In Matthew 21, in Mark and in Luke, 
the Synoptic Gospels, there, there's another example that's listed. That time, he did essentially the same thing, although he didn't make a whip. Maybe in three years, he calmed down. <laughs> I've calmed down, believe it or not, a little bit in the last 30 some years of ministry. <laughs> I'm not quite as wiry as I used to be. Barbara said, I used to run on the, you know, people had a hard time going into my church, going to sleep. I mean, it's only five rows deep and I'd run on the chairs. <laughs> Praise God. The kids were passing notes one day and I went and took a note from them while they were passing it in the second row. I got up. I said, you want me to read it? Hallelujah. They, no. Hallelujah. Amen. I had some problems with teenagers being ornery in the back row, so I talked to them. I said, now listen, I'm a grace guy. I don't like to make rules, but this is going to be the rule. I asked their parents, can I please talk to their children, your children? They said, we wish someone would. <laughs> so my rule I made at the church, at the church property, please keep it to holding hands. Because when the church is five rows deep and the kids are making out in the back row, it's not very good pitching. <laughs> we love Jesus, but we got hormones. Hallelujah. <laughs> Hallelujah. Amen. Jesus loves them. So do I. Hallelujah. I love children. I love people. All kinds of people. People got problems. If you got a church without any problems, that means you got a church without any people. The only churches without any problems are churches without any people because people have problems. So if you're going to have a big church, you're going to have a lot of problems. That's why pastor has to work on uh, keeping his mind sound and sane and peaceful. Praise the Lord. <laughs> you will keep him in perfect peace whose mind has stayed upon you. Hallelujah. Isaiah 26.3 says. So I got to stay my mind on Jesus and remember what it's about. Right? Now. This was Jesus cleansed the temple, and it was really talking about Passover, right? And that's what the sacrifices were about. They were about Passover. They were about forgiveness. They were about freedom. They were about healing. They were about provision. Then in verse 18, then the Jews answered, asked him a question. What sign do you show us, seeing that you do these things? Who are you to do this? And Jesus answered and said to them, destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. Then said the Jews, 46 years was this temple in building, and will you raise it up in three days? But he spoke of the temple of his body. When therefore he was risen from the dead, his disciples remembered what he said to them, and they believed the scripture and the word which Jesus said. Now it's amazing how Jesus could speak in a parable, right? He could speak about a natural thing, and it would be hidden to people who did not believe, and yet it would be revealed to those who believed. In fact, in the parable of the sower, and Jesus said everything in the kingdom operates like the parable of the sower. In Matthew chapter 13, he explained it this way. His disciples asked him in verse 10 of Matthew 13, talking about the parable of the sower. Why do you speak in parables? You know, Jesus could speak in a parable, and natural people could get natural things, but spiritual people could get the spiritual things. He says, because it's given to you to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it's not given. See, they had to believe to receive. For whoever has to him, it will be given to him who has more abundance. He'll have more abundance. But whoever has not from him will be taken away, even that that he has. Now, some people say, some people have and some people don't. God gives to somebody, he doesn't give to others. But you have to read this in context. And if you put this in context and also put it in the context of Matthew 25, the parable of the talents, 
What it means is whoever has and uses what they have will receive more. But whoever has and doesn't use that what they have, it'll be taken away and given right to those who are using what they have. So use it or lose it. Keep using what you have. So he goes on and says this. Therefore, I speak to them in parables because they seeing, see not, hearing, they hear not, neither do they understand. And in them is fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah, which says, hearing you will hear and not understand, seeing you will see and not perceive. For this people's heart is waxed gross and their ears are dull of hearing, their eyes are they closed, lest at any time they should see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their heart and be converted and I would heal them. But blessed are your eyes for they see and your ears for they hear. For I verily say, I say unto you, many prophets and righteous men have desired to see the things which you see and have not seen them and hear those things which you hear and have not heard them. And then he explained to them the parable of the sower. And everybody say, my, my heart is good ground. You see, in the parable of the sower, you've got the seed, which is the word. You have the sower, right? In, my, in this case, I believe the sower is Jesus. Right, who, but whoever's sowing the word, and then you have the heart, right? The ground, the ground is our heart. Your heart is the ground. And you know what? You're the one who is in charge of your heart. And whatever you sow in your heart, right? Whatever you allow to remain in your heart, your heart's going to bring forth the harvest. In fact, you're having harvest on what you've been sowing in your heart for a long time. So if you don't like the harvest you're receiving, change the seeds you're sowing. Right? And change what you're allowing to remain in your heart. Now we go back to John chapter 2. So, so Jesus is here. He's cleansed the temple. He's actually speaking when he says, you destroy this temple and I'll raise it up in three days. He's talking about the temple of his body. And after he's raised from the dead, his disciples remember, hey, this is what Jesus said. And they believe the scripture. Now, why do we believe? Let's look at verse 23 to verse 25 and finish this out. When he was in Jerusalem at the Passover and the feast day, many believed in his name. When they saw the miracles that he did, they believed in his name when they saw the miracles that he did. So why do we believe on Jesus? Because of the miracles that he does? Or because of who he is? But Jesus did not commit himself to them because he knew all men. He was having a hard time with commitment because he really understood the heart issues. And he needed not that any should testify of man for he knew what was in man. So why do we believe? Do we believe because of what Jesus does because of the miracles that he does? Or do we believe because of who he is? And my conclusion is really simple. When you understand who Jesus is, it changes who you are. Amen? When we understand who Jesus is, it changes who we are. So we need to believe not because of what he does. We believe because of who he is. And when you believe because of who he is, it will change your heart. And when it changes who you are, guess what? You'll have a good harvest. Thank you for listening to the Karis Christian Center podcast. If you would like to receive prayer, product, or more information about the ministry, go to www.karischristiancenter.com or call us at 719-418-4000.